welcome everyone, whether you're here in person or online, we're so glad that you're a part of our community. Anybody excited to be here today? All right, a handful of you, that's exciting. It's good, we're glad, like I said, that you are here with us as we launch this brand new series we've called Dream House, taking a deeper look over the next four weeks at where we believe God is leading us as a church, as a group of people, as individuals, and who we are becoming. We wanna build that together with Jesus. Was anybody this past summer enthusiastic about the COVID Olympics, just like me? Like, did you watch any of this? Am I the only one that watched the COVID Olympics? Is it? It's like the same in the first service, and that's just fine. I'm the, I guess I'm the only Olympic cheerleader around here, and that's cool. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed when I was watching the COVID Olympics, the ones that were delayed a year because of the whole pandemic thing, and then they finally got to do them, I loved watching these women and men compete in the things that they were made for. Like the stuff that they did, and whether they're running track or swimming or doing a whole bunch of different things, whatever it was, it was just really exciting to be a part of it and witness it firsthand. I was really captivated by it. And it made me think, like, you and I, we too are made for something. And we spend our entire lives trying so desperately to figure out and discover what that is. Sometimes we believe it's a vocational change. If we change our job, we're going to find what we were made for. Some, sometimes we believe it's a relational change. If we upgrade our relationship status, we're going to find what we're made for. All of those things that we pursue, we're desperate to discover that functionality of why we're here. This is what we're diving into as a church, and we have this mission statement that we've created. To love and live like Jesus, or to live in love like Jesus, they're interchangeable in the way that you say them. That's what we believe we are all about moving forward. That's our roadmap, that's our starting point, that's our springboard, our launching pad. We believe that God has wired us to love and live just like his son Jesus, but what does that all mean and where did we get that from? That's where we're digging into here today. If you got a Bible with you or if you want to follow along on that Bible app that we talked about, version on the events section and you can see all the different texts that we're going to be looking at and the different points that I'm going to be trying to make. It'll be fun together. If you have a, an analog Bible, a paper one, we're looking at Luke chapter 10 starting in verse 25 together. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Their conversation continues. Jesus kind of gives them a roadmap of who that looks like. It's, it's anybody. It's everybody that you come into contact with can be your neighbor. Your purpose is to love and live like Jesus. This is where we get that mission statement from. To live like Jesus, to love like Jesus is right from this conversation. We believe that if we do that as a church and as individuals, we will be living into the purpose that we've been made for. But I get it. To love like Jesus, to live like Jesus, that's pretty intimidating. Seems big. And I've spent the majority of my life trying to figure out that, trying to learn. And guess what I've discovered? The more they learn about it, the more I have let to, yet to learn about it. 
There's lots for me to do. So it doesn't matter if you're 85, if you're 5, if you're 55, if you're 15, or anywhere in between those ages, we all have stuff that we can learn to become more like Jesus in our everyday lives. So we're going to dissect that a little bit. We're going to look at what does it mean to live like Jesus and what does it mean to love like Jesus by looking at a couple of other different passages of Scripture. Let's dive right into what does it mean to love like Jesus. Let's turn with me to the book of John, chapter 13. I'm going to read another piece of the story of Jesus, and we can catch a glimpse on what this, where the starting point is on our discovery of what it means to live like Jesus. John chapter 13 beginning in verse number one. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything that he had come, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. There's a big story here, a big scene unfolding in the life of Jesus. Let's dig a little deeper. Sometimes you and I fall victim to this mentality that the world exists for us to be served. Last night, Bonnie and I, my wife, we were out for dinner, and you go to a restaurant for two reasons, right? Good food and great service. You recommend a restaurant based on good food and great service. If the restaurant doesn't have good food or good service, you're less likely to recommend it. And so we live in this culture We're saturated by it wherever we go, whether it's school, whether it's workplace, whether it's restaurants, recreational activities, we go there expecting to be served or or catered to. But the challenge is that's not what it means to follow Jesus. See, when we come to church, some of us come to church and we're like, man, I hope I get something out of it. Otherwise, what a waste of my time. And sometimes we walk away and we go like, man, Jason was off his game. And we have a little bit of roast preacher for lunch. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes that happens. 
You know, we, we walk away and we're like, oh my goodness, my preferences, my needs, my hopes, my dreams, they weren't met, so therefore maybe this isn't for me. But Jesus flips the script on us and he says, you know what, life is not about being served. To live like Jesus, we need to seek to serve. We need to seek to serve, not to be served. We need to seek to serve, be the servant. Jesus gets up from this table over dinner and he does the thing that nobody else is willing to do. Washes dirty, stinky feet. He does the thing that nobody is willing to do. And then he sits down and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? If I'm doing this, you call me rabbi, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and rightfully so because I'm that. But if I'm willing to do this, how much more should you also be willing to do this? And to be honest, too many of us adopt that mindset that the world around us is meant to serve who we are, our preferences, our whatever. Imagine for a moment what our church could look like if every single one of us started to serve. And so many of you do, and it's amazing. It's a wonderful thing. But there's some of us who just aren't serving for whatever reason. Maybe you don't feel like you have something to offer or you don't have time or this, that, or the other. And for whatever reason, you're on the sidelines, but you're missing out on the blessings that God has for you because you're not serving. And I'm not here to control or manipulate your time or give you a guilt trip or anything like that. I'm just saying, if you want to love and live like Jesus, it starts right here. It starts with your willingness to serve. If you're unwilling to serve, there's no way that you can follow where Jesus is leading because Jesus is a servant of all. Willing to do whatever, willing to do the least of those things so that you and I can serve. One of my favorite areas in our church to serve in is actually our nursery. Some of you are looking at me going like, you're crazy. Didn't Pastor Jamie talk about not liking babies the other week? No, he likes babies, just not all babies. Jason, on the hand, likes all babies. So, you know, if you're measuring, just saying. Just kidding. I love serving in the nursery. You know why? Because I have the privilege to either hold these kids or play with these kids and then pray for them by name. And some of those kids in that space are going to be the decision makers for our community moving forward. In fact, one of them may be the one that decides when it's time to put Jason out to pasture. He might be that one or she might be that one. We don't know. But what a privilege it is to pray for these little ones right where they are by name and just serve. Serve a parent that's frustrated and burned out and just like, give me 20 minutes where nobody's pulling at me. Serve our kids, serve our ministry teams. And so many of us are involved in that. It's a wonderful thing. Imagine for a moment, like what it would look like if every single one of us was involved in some capacity. It would be amazing. It would be a game changer. We would never be short of people to serve in any area. There'd be a lineup for people We'd be inventing new things to do because everybody wanted to contribute something. And to be a part of God's family, to be a part of following after Jesus, it's recognizing that there's a contribution that you and I get to make. And that's from our very presence, our being, our involvement, and our investment. All of those things. And God takes that and he blesses it and he multiplies it and he uses it, not so that you become famous, 
but that's so other people can know about who he is in really incredible ways. That's the privilege that we get when we're invited to serve and we, when we accept that invitation to serve. Isn't that awesome? Maybe you and I could seek first to serve. Seek to serve instead of be served. And that will propel us on our adventure to live like Jesus. What does it mean to love like Jesus? Well, to answer that question, let's go to another scenario in the life of Jesus. The book of John, once again, chapter 8. We're going we're gonna to dissect what's happening uh, starting in verse number 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Imagine for a moment, you and I just got lazy and we stopped taking the garbage out of our houses. And it built up over time, bags after bags after bags. The aromas that would be ruminating from that stuff would be interesting. In fact, the liquids of the liquefying, whatever was in there, would also be interesting of nature. And finally, we get to the point where we're like, man, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm going to take out the trash, but I can't do it on my own. And we call in some reinforcements, some helpers, some friends of ours, neighbors, whatever it is, and we ask them to help us remove the garbage. It's really helpful if they remove the garbage. You know what isn't helpful? If they go through the garbage and ask you all about it. They go through it and be like, man, you eat a lot of eggs. Like, what is going on here? How many times are you ordering pizza? I noticed that you're doing a lot of takeout. Is that a wise use of your funds? This, that, and the other. If they're asking you questions about your garbage, it's not very helpful, is it? No. You just want to get the garbage out. You don't want to dissect it. That's not their job. And too many of us, when we try to love like Jesus, we try to do the opposite of what Jesus does. In this story, what does Jesus do? He does not condemn. Why doesn't he condemn? Because he was sent into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Save the world. When we Christians adopt the mindset of judgment, we become more in line with condemnation than we do with love. It's not our role to judge. It's not our role to point out the trash. It's not our role to dissect it. You know what our job is? To love. Sometimes that means we need to speak the truth in love, but it's still to love. That's our point. That's our purpose. 
If we want to love like Jesus, we have to look beyond the garbage and the trash in our own lives, in somebody else's life. Let Jesus deal with that meticulously. And us, our job is to simply love those people. However we're invited to, in whatever capacity we are enabled to, it's to love. We can pray for them. We can cook meals for them. We can uh, do some weeding in their garden. We can drive them from an appointment, from their house to an appointment and back again. We can stock their, their, their fridge full of groceries when they are in need. We can, we can do all sorts of different things in the name of Jesus and in the name of love. And I can't help but think if we had a bunch of crazy Eastern Ontarians that adopted that mindset and lived that reality out in their everyday life, vocationally and relationally, wherever they might be, in the classroom, outside of the classroom, the workplace, the recreation space, that many more people would be curious about who this Jesus guy is because they've encountered love. If we want to live like Jesus, we need to seek to serve. If we want to love like Jesus, we need to be desperate to love. We have to have this sense of urgency and passion and desire that moves us and motivates us despite all the challenges that we face to demonstrate love to the best of our ability, even in a challenging situation, like a federal election, like a global pandemic, like the decision of whether or not to vaccinate or not vaccinate, like how we interact online, social media-wise, when something is happening in our world that we disagree with or that we agree with in all the ways that we choose to live is love the common theme. And if we want to follow Jesus, it needs to be something that we saturate ourselves in. We need to be desperate to love, desperate to love, just like Jesus. Last uh, portion of text that we're going to look at here today, we're going to look at uh, something from the book of Philippians. The author of this book, a man named Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit to write it, kind of gives a summary picture of the life of Jesus that I want to take a look at. Because I think it rounds out this whole idea and concept as a starting point of where we can build from this moment. If you got a Bible, again, pull it out with you. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're headed. And we're going to read this together. Chapter 2, starting in verse number 3, all the way through till 11. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of yourselves as better, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And gave him the name above all other names, that the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
in our self-seeking world that we live in, at times you and I succumb to the lie that we are more valuable than we actually are. Now, don't misunderstand me here, please. You have value, but you are not God's gift to the world. Jesus is God's gift to the world. And when you give your life to Jesus, you have the opportunity and the ability and the responsibility and the invitation to live and to love like him wherever he's placed you to be. And what that means is you and I need to be real about who we are. We need to be real about who we are. In our gift mix, there's going to be somebody that's more gifted than we are. We have to be okay with that. We have to understand that our gift isn't bigger, isn't greater, isn't better than the gift giver. The purpose of our gift is to point people to Jesus. When it's not, when it's pointing people to ourselves, we are misusing our gift, our talent, our resources, whatever it is. We should never be attention-seeking for ourselves. Here's the trick. When we want to feel love, we need to first be love. If I want my kids to line up and be like, give me hugs and kisses and all that stuff, I have to demonstrate what that looks like. I have to initiate. I have to make sure that they understand that they are loved first so that then they can reciprocate love. That's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He has demonstrated by the way he chose to live his life, by his death on the cross and resurrection three days later, that you are worthy of love, his love. He's given everything to show you that. To show me that. And what he's inviting us into is to rest in that space. Understanding that even he, somebody who would give up his divine privileges, that he wouldn't take equality with God as something to cling to. He would be willing to give that up so that you and I could understand love. That's amazing. You and I, we've got to be real about who we are in every situation. Understanding that we aren't God's gift to the world. Jesus is God's gift to the world. The way we live, the way we love, in the workplace, the classroom, in the friendship circle, in the grocery store, at the cell store, at wherever we happen to be, the way we choose to live and love in those moments points directly to God at work in us, through us, and around us. And if we could be a church, a community, a group of people that would just seek to serve first, that would be desperate to love other people, and that would be real about who we are, would have a realistic, humble opinion of ourselves, I can't help but dream about how transformative that could be on an individual level, but also on a communal, regional type level. Wherever we go, wherever we're sent, wherever we happen to be, People are encountering love after love after love after love. They're going to be worn down and be like, oh my goodness, there's got to be love in this place, in this space. There must be a Jesus, a God who loves us because I keep bumping into people who say they follow him and all they say and show me is love. It could make all the difference in the world if you and I are willing to invest our lives and give our lives to that thing. For willing to live and love like Jesus. For willing to love and live like Jesus. I could be the game changer 
that we've been waiting for. You and I, we were made for this. We were made for this. And it's up to us whether or not we want to respond to that invitation that we are given to have our world changed so that the world around us can be changed by the power of Jesus. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I'm ever so grateful that you are desperate to love us. You've demonstrated your love for us in so many ways. First and foremost, by sending your son Jesus to live a life and die a death on a cross, to be raised to life again three days later so that the relational union with you would never be broken again. He bridges that gap, Father. When we surrender our lives to him, we get to enjoy unhindered, unbridled relationship and intimacy with you. Father, would you draw us to yourself? And in drawing us to yourself, would you allow us to adopt the mindset of your son Jesus, to be willing to serve first instead of looking to be served? For being, having the sense of urgency to, to maximize every opportunity to the best of our ability to demonstrate love to those around us. And sometimes that's going to mean, Jesus, uh, apologizing for when we get it wrong. And asking for forgiveness. And Father, would you allow us to have a realistic opinion of who we are so that we don't get in the way of what you want to do in our lives or through our lives or around us in some way. Father, we want to be, be a people that builds alongside of you a dream house where everybody's invited, everybody is welcome, everybody can find a place of belonging and hope whether that's here in person or digitally connected in some way. And it starts, God, by us choosing to surrender to you everything. And so that's what we do. Would you bless us and protect us? Would you be gracious, gracious to us and make your face shine upon us? Would you give us your favor and your peace? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.